The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. Hi, everybody. It is Kara here once again. I'm here with my friend Chris from the Fade to Gray podcast, as well as a linguist and uh, language teacher. (laughs) So (laughs) hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I'm very excited to talk to you. Likewise. (laughs) It's uh, so what I wanted to talk about, um, although if we get off topic, it's not really a big deal. Because, you know, I run this show. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You can do what you want. I do what I want. But (laughs) what I was thinking we could talk about is the role of like language and things like prescriptivism versus subscriptivism when it comes to, you know, talking to other people and, and semantics and all sorts of different things that play into how that plays a role in our mental well-being and general state of happiness. Mm hmm. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is outside of a classroom setting, because obviously you have to be prescriptivist in a classroom setting. Right. What is your take on, on, you know what I mean when I say that, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Prescriptivism basically explains how a language should be used as opposed to descriptivism, which is where you actually use the language, the way it's used in everyday life. Yes. Yeah. So which, which take do you prefer as a linguist? As, well, like whenever I'm teaching it in the classroom or like, well, yeah, in the classroom, you kind of have to tell them what to do, I yeah. think. But I mean, when you're interacting with your peers and stuff like that, are you someone that might be labeled like a, a grammarista? Because I don't like No, <laughs> definitely not. Certainly whenever I'm just speaking with friends, I do not care about grammar, mostly because modern language kind of breaks a lot of grammar rules anyway. So to be able to actually engage in a conversation with with someone and not seem like a total douchebag i mean you, <laughs> you would have to definitely uh uh go for the descriptivism as opposed to the prescriptivism so that's so interesting you keep saying descriptivism i always heard the term subscriptivism mm. which i think would describe the same thing but i uh you obviously are uh, more formal more formally educated in the sense that you have actual education and i t- I just talk to people and read and listen. I wonder if that's just an American thing, because, you know, sometimes different countries will have different words for different things. Yeah, it it could be. Yeah. But I think you touched on a really interesting point as far as not being seen as a douche. So I was definitely someone (laughs) who was constantly jumping in and correcting grammar, arguing semantics. Mm. And I remember the moment that someone introduced this concept to me. And the idea of like allowing yourself to be part of the language's evolution instead of trying to stagnate it. Mm-hmm. And it was like glorious. And a uh, byproduct of that was that people hated me a little less. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that really kills the flow of a conversation as someone speaking. Uh, actually, you used the third person singular as opposed to the, you know, whatever. <laughs> actually, it's whom. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who uses whom anymore? <laughs> I do in one context and one context only. To whom What's it that? may concern. Okay. I <laughs> I very rarely use that phrase. I do not think that I use the word whom in my everyday language. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah. 
That's one of those uh, words that's going to be gone in a century. I think so. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Words that go away. That's also a great, a great. Oh, I could talk about this stuff all day and I'm trying to keep it focused on. <laughs> like the other day I said something was healthful and someone's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it's healthful, like healthy. And they're like, why wouldn't you just say healthy? And I'm like, because I like. Because it's the word you wanted to use. Yeah. Like I like obscure words. Well, here's the funny thing, because the important thing about language is that it's a tool for communication. And in the case of you saying that something is healthful, you've communicated what you want to say. Even if it wasn't grammatically correct, you've communicated, which is the end goal. So when you get caught up on the semantics of, well, it's supposed to be healthy, you know, (laughs) as opposed to healthful, you're simply just being a douchebag, I think. Well, and I mean, and I really love to like do it to people on purpose because I'm kind of a low key jerk. So, <laughs> oh, same, but not in this sense. <laughs> so I'll say to my mom, well, no, like people, I like to like fuel people who are going to correct me. Mm, gotcha. So I like to call athletes sportsmen. <laughs> so I'm like, what's wrong like, with sportsmen? They are sportsmen. <laughs> I know they are, but people hate that. <laughs> well, They're like, why would people... you use that word? Oh, if people understood what language actually is, I think they would be okay with that. And you have to understand that language is simply our best attempt to convey complicated emotions or messages from our brain uh, via electrical signals. I mean, your brain is, is having these thoughts. They're pairing thoughts together. And putting that into words is incredibly unique for our, you know, of course, our species is the only one that does this, or at least they say that, of course, uh, dolphins can do this or whales can do this, but it's not on the same level, right? So for us to be able to do this, it's it's insanely unique and insanely magic. I was going to say a miracle, but... (laughs) (laughs) So whenever you say sportsman as opposed to athlete, you're doing your job, which is communication. And you're conveying the message that you want to convey. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you're writing some sort of a paper for your professor who wants it in MLA format and all this bullshit. And can I curse on this? Yeah, podcast? absolutely. Yeah. I apologize. No, no. Um, <laughs> you may want to be grammatically correct, but in your everyday speech, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having fun with language and using words like sportsman as opposed to athlete. I like it. Exactly. Like that's, that's exactly what I feel that I'm doing is I'm having fun with the language. We have the, we have the structure and and what we need in order to communicate. And then we have so much play. And I know that we're really lucky too, because I know that not all languages have as much play as English. Mm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like definitely the way that people use language is completely different from, from country to country or from language to language. Absolutely. I have, I have a weird question for you that, yeah. that you made me think of, or I thought of while you were speaking is, do you think that if for whatever reason, humans did not have language, say, you know, we had base communication, like a lot of other mammals do, mm-hmm. where they can communicate via some sounds and, and body language, but overall, not at all close to what we have. Do you think that people would be in general, happier or less happy? Neither. Neither. Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know that it would affect our happiness. I imagine that people would be, certainly society would be easier. Living in social um, groups would be much easier if you were able to communicate on a much comp- more complicated level. Uh, I don't know that it would affect your happiness. I mean, what is happiness? You know, and when we are happy, how do we convey how we are actually feeling? And are we actually conveying that feeling adequately with our language? You know? Yeah. um, I definitely feel like I understand what you're saying. So the reason, so, okay. You you touched on so many things. So I just need to breathe for a second. (laughs) Okay. So the, the question of what is happiness. So my definition of happiness differs from other people's, which is a whole other super interesting point about language and happiness and communication. But my my tendency is to think that it means a, a state where we're always coming back to a sense of peace. We're still feeling all the different emotions, sadness, anger, you know, um, joy, etc. But generally coming back to a state of, of peace and calm and a feeling of safety. That's what I think of as happiness. And I think, and and I could be wrong because I just thought of this question, so I have no idea. But I think that like when you look at dogs, like dogs are so happy and they don't communicate as much. (laughs) And I think that, I think that it's because it's less complicated. I think that the fact that we can discuss our ideas allows them to become infinitely more complicated than if they just resided as a sense inside of our brains. Right. Yeah, for sure. Dogs aren't able to necessarily convey the message that they're happy except for we know they are based on involuntary movement when my dog wags his tail i know he's happy you know and it's not like he's thinking about that to convey that message that's something that naturally happens right so it's not by his will that he's letting me know he's happy but certainly his body language is communicating that to me by natural by by a natural uh course of action And the funny thing is, as you mentioned earlier about happiness and about how to you it meant something different, like, is your definition of happiness, is it really even your definition or is it something that's hardwired in your brain based on what society has said happiness should be? So for example, in my mind, happiness is having a home and having a job and having security um, and having a happy marriage. Right. So, and of course, all of that is based on someone else's idea, our ancestors. But yeah, someone, someone defining that word for you before you're even born. That's right. But that also plays into language, because if you think about language, the language that we're speaking English, if you were to go back 2000 years, if you were to go back a thousand years, it wouldn't look anything like what it looks now. And the messages that you're conveying would be completely different. Than they are now. Our idea of happiness in the 21st century, almost at 20th, uh, is completely different than what happiness might have looked like in the 15th century. You ever wonder why people didn't smile in photographs back in the day? I think because they because they had to keep that face for so long. Maybe, <laughs> or maybe they were actually happy, but they didn't communicate it via body language. Oh, that's so interesting. I wonder. well and and i mean i think that that's even true today like when we look at the spectrum of people and types of people and even cultures you know different things mean different like body language means different things in different culture sure Um, you know even something as simple as nodding your head i can't remember which 
which country it is. I think it's in Eastern Europe where nodding and shaking your head are reversed. Like Really? Yeah, I wish I could remember. I listened oh, to a podcast called Lexicon Valley. I bet you'd love it. Um, mm. I listen to it, you know, when I am listening to podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and they were talking about it and I did some research into it. It's so interesting. And it makes me think about one of the things that I find, oh, okay, Kara, breathe. One of the things <laughs> I find most interesting is how, like a bit about what we're discussing, how a word can mean two different things to two different people. And so you and I could be having an entire conversation, an entire conversation, walk away and have completely different messages. Like I, you could receive a completely different message than the one I intended to put out. Absolutely. And it has yeah. to do with like not only word choice and definitions of words, but also like our paradigms and it's just lived it's, experiences. Yeah. It's, all come into play. Yeah. It's incredible. And I think that I think that people I think that people aren't as mindful about word choice as they realize. I think people would be more mindful of word choice if they realized how often people have different definitions of things and how little it matters what the official definition is. Yeah. And I love that we're talking about happiness because you know, those studies they do on countries and this is, I'm, I'm speaking to your point here, but those studies they do on countries, they say, oh, well, you know, such and such country is ranked the happiest country in the world. And yeah. Okay. Those are complete bullshit because happiness, of course, as you and I know, are completely relative and subjective and they cannot be measured by language in any sort of, you know, I guess, equitable way. So for example, I know of one study that they did with Danish students where it was confirmed that the term happy is not the same in English and Danish because um, I guess they were bilingual. And so they were, you know, measuring their thoughts on these words or whatever. So in Danish, the word uh, for happy is similar to the German word glücklich, uh, which seems to refer to something stronger than just being happy in English, right? Okay. And of course, when I say happy in English, I'm talking about American English because certainly Canadian English and even British English can be different as well. But what's actually more surprising than the fact that the Danish word for happy is stronger is that they also found a significant difference between the answers on overall life satisfaction. So the study indicated that the answers given in Danish were too high as compared to the English ones. So the differences are large enough to argue that such simple tests should be conducted before ranking countries in terms of, you know, the, the well-established indices of subjective happiness. So they need to find out exactly to what measure of happiness are you referring to when you're using the certain words from different languages. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And okay, so do they have do they have a medium word that means something closer to our happy? Do you know? Um, no, I don't know. I, I'm not, I honestly I don't really know any Scandinavian languages um, at all. So when it comes to Dan well, Danish, I'm, you, you know, English and that's Germanic, right? Certainly, but it's, you know, <laughs> it, it it's way far removed from that. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> at this point. I was being cheeky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, cause, cause what that, what that brings to mind is I, I always wonder how much having a word for something solidifies its place in a society yeah so like i wonder if the fact that their word for happy means 
something so much stronger. I wonder if that reflects in their culture that just having a word that means something stronger, like, makes them feel it more strongly. I think it's possible, but at the same time, you can still experience happiness to a higher degree than the word happy. You just can't communicate it if there is no word for it. Exuberant. (laughs) Well, sure. But, you know, how many people use that word? It's not very often. They just use a a term like happy. It's the same thing with American English. I don't know if you guys do this in Canada, but um, I love you. I love you is thrown around all the time. It doesn't really mean much. Um, It has a very, you know, low rating of actual love. And so... If you look at a language like Spanish, yeah, you have a couple different ways to say this. If you're just talking about like, hey, you know, my my best friend or my um, you know, my brother, my um, you know, whatever. I guess like a little bit less strong, like familial and platonic love. Sure, a less strong way to say I love you would be te quiero, which literally translates to I want you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if you want to say a stronger version of that, they say te amo, which is what we equate with I love you. So the way we throw I love you around in America or in the United States, I guess I should say. Here too, for sure. Yeah. It's just very, very weak. It's a very weak way of saying it. So I think to convey the message, you might want to try to come up with your own term that might mean it. So for example, one thing that I would tell people that I was really feeling very strong love towards is I would say something like, I adore you, or I would, I would use other phrases that would actually maybe cause them to think twice about it. Something they don't hear very often. You know, you hear, I love you all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear something that kind of jars you and you go, wow, that's different. I haven't heard that before or whatever you give the person the sense that you actually mean it as opposed to just saying the traditional, I love you. You know, people say that all the time as they're leaving the house, not even intentionally meaning it. Like I say it all the time to my wife whenever I leave, love you. You know, certainly I love her, but in that moment, I'm not really reflecting on my adoration of her. But if I stop and I say something like, you know what? I really adore you. I think it has much more of a significance. I think that that's, I think that's very, very true. Uh, I've thought about that many times and I'm definitely, I definitely up the, <laughs> the over usage of maybe, I don't think it's over usage though. Cause I do think that it's true when mm-hmm. like, I don't tell people and, and what's really, what's really interesting is that, you know, when I, um, on the off time that I am like in a relationship and stuff, like I say, I love you to my friends and my family and stuff like that. And if I'm friends with someone, but we have like a romantic thing, then I stop saying it. And I freak mm. out <laughs> and have myself a nice little panic attack. What, do you think that that conveys something deeper? Maybe you're afraid of commitment or maybe you're afraid of getting hurt. So you don't want to um, maybe invest too much in that relationship for fear that it's going to end soon. Do you think that that might have something to do with it? I mean, almost definitely. I have, <laughs> I have abandonment. I have lots of fun issues that, that play into all of these things. Yeah. But I think that it, it actually has a lot to do with, what you're talking about, because there's not really a common distinction between I love you in, like I said, like sort of a more platonic sense, where, you know, that's not an element and the romantic sense of the word, or the adoration sense of the word, the intense sense of the word, because there's not really a distinction. 
I suddenly like I'm hyper aware of that. Mm -hmm. So if I'm saying I love them, I don't I, I I know that what I'm afraid of is them misreading me as saying that I'm in love with them. Yeah. You're saying that you're afraid that they're going to misinterpret it because their view of you saying I love you could be completely different from the actual intention behind your words. Um, exactly. That's so interesting because that's that's just what words are. You know, they're a futile attempt. I mean, they do a pretty damn good job, but they're technically they're a futile attempt to communicate. Like I said earlier, what your brain is is telling you, you know, it's so <laughs> yeah. interesting. It really, really is. And and I mean, it's so interesting. Like, I, I wasn't sure what you would think that I meant when I said I want to talk about language and happiness, because I feel like a decade ago, if someone had said, I want to talk about language and happiness, I would assume they were specifically talking about self-talk, which I think is relevant as well. I think our word choice is important. But it's amazing how deeply tied our communication and our ability to communicate and, and be heard and seen and understood, or at least feel that we're those things, mm -hmm. um, how deeply tied that is to our sense of enjoyment of life. And at the same time, how, like you said, how ineffective it is in comparison, like I could never describe my experience in an effective way. And then when you add on top of that, that if other people don't have similar experiences, it, it becomes basically like that's a much bigger barrier than the amount of words, like the amount of vocabulary that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, experience definitely informs language choice. So if I've had the same experience as you had, we can communicate a lot better together about that experience than if you're talking to someone who's never experienced that. So take uh, something like zip lining, right? So I don't know if you've ever been zip lining, but if we were to have a conversation about that, you know, if you had zip lined before, then we would be able to understand each other much better than if I were talking to someone who had never done it. So certainly your lived experience informs your use of language or your understanding of language. And, and I appreciate that you use something that's so simple. I don't know if simple is uh, the right word, but something that's so concrete Yeah. Um, as an example, because it's easy to see how, okay, yeah, you don't have the right terms for ziplining. And I do not. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like it's like a, a hoist is probably the wrong word. <laughs> so, because once you start getting into more abstract things, like dealing with with any anything that has to do with emotion at all it's like you know you're, you're talking about completely different worlds and i think that it's really interesting how our experiences shape our language and and cyclically our language shapes our experience not only because yeah. of the people that we attract that are in you know that, that oh she speaks my language not only because of that but because we the words that we choose to use, I think, and, and maybe you disagree, but the words that we choose to use really helps to shape our, our perception and our paradigm. It's, it's really like it's the, the building blocks of, of uh, this, like the stability, like the structure of how we see things. I would tend to agree with that. I think that it also, the word choices you use are also based on who you want to be, if that makes sense. Yes. So you choose certain words based on how you want to be perceived and how you want to relate to the world, or you choose to talk a certain way 
there are people who mimic people's accents all the time trying to seem a certain way because that's how they want to be portrayed or that's how they want to be viewed, right? So as a kid, you know, I always thought it'd be cool to be from California. So I always be like, what's up, dude? How's it going, man? You know, so you would you would adopt this faux California accent to and you might even tell people, yeah, I'm from California, you know, just to portray yourself a certain way. And of course, that's kitty stuff. But we actually do this as adults as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to that extreme. But for example, let's say that you're, you know, going in for a job interview you're no longer going to be using the colorful language that you use in your everyday life. You're not going to say, motherfucker, I had, you know, the best credentials to work here. You're not going to be saying that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right? <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> you know, in, in my line of work, if I were to say that, there's no way they would hire me. Yeah. But, you know, we do change the way we speak to fit certain norms or be portrayed in certain lights. And it does inform who we want to be and how we want to be perceived. And I find that infinitely fascinating. Absolutely. I, I especially, Oh crap. I just completely lost my train of thought. Uh, I, I find that infinitely fascinating as well. Did you lose your train of thought or are you finding, are you, are you not able to find the words you want to use to convey that thought? <laughs> Probably a bit of both. <laughs> I well, like the accent thing. I'm, I'm the worst for that. I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, maybe not, but like the way the way that I say like house is not the way that most Canadians say it, or you know out and about, out and about, out and about. Like I, I, I mean, I say it different ways depending on who I'm talking to. And out and about. That out and about. Australian. Out and about. <laughs> out and about. I don't know. Like I say it all these different ways. I have no idea I it was why my accent. I never say out and about. <laughs> um, but like most Canadians say, like out, out and about. Out and about. Yeah, like it's like it's closer to out and about than it is to what you guys would say. And it's like it's a I don't know. Anyways, it's so interesting that I observe, like that I do that almost subconsciously. Like I'm certainly not trying to do that because it's like kind of embarrassing and confusing and people are like, where are you from? And like, why are you always trying, <laughs> trying to sound like the people that you're talking to? And I'm like, ah, I'm not trying to, my brain just does this. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's a bad thing because what you're doing is you're trying to relate to those people, right? So you're trying to make yourself accessible to them as well. You want them to find favor in you or you want to maybe have them accept you into their group. And so your brain tricks you into trying to speak like them so that maybe you'll feel more a part of that group. I have a friend who born and raised in Oklahoma and she didn't have, you know, a redneck accent or anything, but when she got a little bit, you know, when she became an adult, she married a Swedish guy and she married, uh, she, uh, she moved to Sweden. Okay. And, the people that are over there who speak English, they speak it with a British accent. Now here's what's funny. When she comes back home, there are certain words she speaks with a British accent now, and she's not intentionally doing this. It's not like she's trying to impress anyone or whatever. It's simply that that's the way they talk over there when they speak English. And so she's become accustomed to that. Uh, not all of her speech sounds like that, but there are certain words and you're like, whoa, that, that sounds British, <laughs> you know? So she's done the natural thing is that when you move habitats, of course you try to adapt to your surroundings. And, uh, I think she's, you know, obviously been pretty successful at it. 
Well, and and I don't know if you I don't know if you remember the first time I ever talked to you. You said you were from Texas. And I was like, really? Like, you don't have a Texas accent? Or someone said you were from Texas or whatever. And then you convinced me you were from Ontario. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have such a neutral accent that I I was like, really? And like, (laughs) you were like, yeah. Yeah, there are certain triggers for me that I'll start sounding very... Actually, originally, I'm from Oklahoma. Um, But yes, I've lived in Texas for many, many years. Um, But there are certain triggers that can happen where I will start sounding like a lot of the people that live around here. (laughs) A lot of the older people, because a lot of the a lot of the younger people that live around here actually have been so influenced by Hollywood and their accent uh, in the movies that they've kind of lost the. Uh, local dialect. So for example, the way that my mother speaks is completely different than the way that I speak because I grew up in front of the TV listening to all these Hollywood people speak, you know, whereas she just kind of played with her neighbor friends all day long. Right. So they all sounded like each other. Influence is different. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, dialect of course changes all the time, but you're seeing a rapid decrease in dialect in the United States. A lot of people that are my age and younger, uh, they don't have any specific dialect to their region. Uh, they've adopted the the traditional Hollywood one. Well, and I think that probably even beyond just just the and this is speculation, of course, but I think even beyond just TV is the internet. Like, you know, you and I, for example, and we're what eighteen hundred miles apart, right? So you and I have spoken a great deal. So my circle of influence, as far as the people that I'm actually interacting with, would be so much greater. So I think that, you know, colloquialisms are going to fall by the wayside and accent is going to, you know, just kind of mishmash into. And and so it's very, it's very interesting the way that language evolves. And like, I think that in some ways, and you you can cut me off at any point because I might ramble, but I think that in some ways the internet is is contributing to the evolution of language in, in an interesting way. And in some ways, I think that it's blending things together so that we're not seeing as many separate evolutions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree with you. The <laughs> I kind of want to play a game with you real okay. quick. Okay. All right. Let's see if we can do this. What do you call that bubbly beverage that's brown or maybe orange or whatever? And... That you can drink. So I you, I call it soda, but everyone in, around me calls it pop. Okay, so soda or pop. Um, what, do you, what do you call it? It's a Coke. Oh. <laughs> Even if it's orange? Even if it's orange, it's a Coke. <laughs> yeah. Somebody might say, hey, uh, you want a Coke? Yeah, give me a Fanta. What? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Do you have more? Yeah. Oh, tons. Um, what do you call the orange thing that you see on roads that it has a cylindrical shape kind of like a conical shape yeah uh that's a pylon what do you guys call right yeah that's not a pylon that's a cone oh yeah we call them cones down here really that's so weird (laughs) yeah we don't use the word pylon okay this one's gonna really bake your noodle are you ready for it i'm so ready Okay, what do you call those, like, knit caps that you can wear on your head? <laughs> it's a toque. <laughs> okay, so you call it a toque, all right? 
other places they call it a a beanie. Do you know a beanie? Yes, a beanie. Okay, do you know what we call it here? <laughs> yes, and it's fantastic. What do we call <laughs> a it? A toboggan. Yes, but a toboggan <laughs> in places where it's actually cold enough to get snow a, is a it's a sled. Is a sled. <laughs> That's so amazing, and it's amazing that that perseveres through the internet. Like the internet's been around for a good while now. Yeah. It's amazing that those types of um, like colloquialisms will will persevere. Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. You know, for sure. I, I love you, them. I love the. I love. I love to talk about the differences. <laughs> what do you guys call the um, metal contraption? In which you carry your groceries around the store with wheels. Uh, that's just a cart, like a shopping cart. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we'll say grocery cart or buggy. We say buggy. Yeah. I've heard people call it a buggy before, but it's not very common here to say buggy. But yeah, we just call it a cart. Have you ever seen on the internet the the videos uh, from a group called Cart Narcs? No. No. <laughs> Oh my God, it's hilarious. So they <laughs> they film YouTube videos, but they wait to see if people take their carts back to the cart corral yeah. or if they just like leave them next to their car or, you know, pop them on top of a, a curb or something. And if they don't take them back to the, the cart corral, they go up to them and they put a bumper sticker on their car that says cart narcs and it like gives them information <laughs> for how they can seek help for being lazy bones. And all this stuff. It's so funny. That's like so low stakes. <laughs> like, that's amazing because it's just silly. Oh. People get outraged. They're like, you know, yeah. Anyways, they use very colorful language. I'm sorry. We got off on a tangent, oh, but that's okay. you got to check out Cart Narcs. It's hilarious. I will. I will. <laughs> um, so because I'm not super, super sly at the editing, I keep them uh, relatively short. <laughs> uh, so is there anything that you want to add before uh, before we close up about language and happiness or literally anything you want to plug, uh, Fade to Gray, anything at all? Well, I love language. It's what I've devoted my life to, the study of language and the teaching of language. And the reason is, is because language is the oldest continuous collaborative art form that we as humans have. And that says something, you know, something that our ancestors 200,000 years ago were working on. We're benefiting from it now and we're, we're adding to it and we're collaborating and we're changing it, you know, so we're adding words to it. We're, we're evolving it. And I love that. It's something that can really connect you to your roots as well. And so anyhow, I, I'm a huge fan of language and I hope uh, anyone who's listening to this will not have been bored, but hopefully we'll get excited <laughs> about it. And I'm, you know, I'm very, I guess, uh, pro everyone learning as many languages or at least as many phrases in as many languages as possible. <laughs> it's the way we communicate and it can only be a good thing to speak more than one language. So, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I feel like everything you just said was very poetic and beautiful and really <laughs> speaks to my heart. Like I haven't devoted my life to it so much as just my free time, uh, you know, instead of watching the newest, I don't know, Game of Thrones or I think Game of Thrones <laughs> is off TV. But <laughs> instead of watching that, I'm like, you know, nerding out about like etymology and stuff. Yeah. So like to me, it's I couldn't agree more. But you're right. Probably some people find this boring and... You know, I don't know how to help those people. Yeah, I don't either. Um. <laughs> how do we communicate with these people? How important language is. 
without language, how do we do that? <laughs> Those yeah. people are like uh, our oldest ancestors who, do, who who just use grunts and stuff, you know, so they're not even worthy of it. <laughs> yeah, checkmate, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> all right, Chris, it is always a pleasure. Likewise. To um, chat with you. Uh, if you want to keep chatting, I can just stop the recording or we can head out now i don't really know see i'm very very professional and good at this (laughs) you're doing great and um i guess i would just want to plug one thing i've got a podcast called movies that molded me and it is a movie game show podcast where we uh, play against each other for a definitive top five list in uh, a certain genre or a certain topic and it's an absolute blast and i really hope you'll go and check it out if you like movies and if you like game shows it's very colorful very fun and i think you'll like it a lot movies that molded me and i can speak to the fact that these guys have a ton of fun and they're a lot of fun to listen to when uh, i have i have a very small list of podcasts that, and I haven't heard any of movies that molded me yet, but I've heard some of their other work. I think and you'll it's like fantastic. It. <laughs> so I don't even have to listen to it. I fully recommend it. And I will actually go download that when I'm done here. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kara. No problem. Always a pleasure, Chris. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right.